Our New Testament lesson this morning comes from the Acts of the Apostles, chapter 4, starting with the fifth verse. Listen for God's word. Peter and John have been imprisoned, and the narrative continues with their questioning. The next day, their rulers, elders, and scribes assembled in Jerusalem with Annas the high priest, Caiaphas, John, and Alexander, and all who were of the high priestly family. When they had made the prisoners stand in their midst, they inquired, By what power or by what name did you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers of the people and elders, If we are questioned today because of a good deed done to someone who is sick and are asked how this man has been healed, let it be known to all of you and to all people of Israel that this man is standing before you in good health by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders. It has become the cornerstone. There is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among mortals by which we must be saved. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be acceptable unto you, O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. The Christian story is a story of stones. God fashioned stones in the dry land of creation. There were stones in Sinai, and there were stones in the wilderness. Stones piled up to make walls around the cities of the Old Testament, and stones cut to make the great temple of Solomon. Jesus faced stones in his temptation. On Palm Sunday, the stones were ready to cry out along the route as Jesus made his way into Jerusalem. And on Easter, that massive stone was rolled away to allow for the resurrection. The scripture lessons today have an even more central metaphor, a Christological image for us to contemplate. The stone that the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. Stones usually remain at rest, functioning sometimes to support or hold up structures, other times as roadblocks or stumbling blocks or dividing walls. But when set in motion, stones can almost instantly unleash inhuman forces of violence and destruction. In the Old Testament, capital punishment The principal means of capital punishment was stoning to death. We see a litany of violent images in the Bible involving stones. In battle, the young shepherd boy David overcomes the physical advantage of Goliath by hurling a smooth stone from his slingshot. Result, the death of Goliath. Joshua and his foot soldiers are commanded by God to march around the stone walls of Jericho seven times, 
until the stones of the wall come tumbling down. Result, the death but all but a few inhabitants of Jericho. Jesus is accused of saying that he could tear down the temple stone by stone and rebuild it in three days. The result of this and other accusations, his crucifixion. And what about the stone that seals the tomb? We know the power of stones that can entrap us in our own caves of despair or hopelessness, addiction, or fear. Stones that encase us from living true life. We know the cold loneliness, perhaps, of huddling among cold stones, hard stones, seeking refuge from the world, feeling all alone. And we know the violence, perhaps, of being struck from behind by stones, stones of violence, stones of hatred. Thank God. Thank God in this Easter season that the power of these kinds of stones does not have the final word. The resurrected Christ has the last word, and that is the Christ who can be contained by no stone. The good news of the gospel is that death and despair cannot hold back the good news of true life, of the resurrection. These stones are rolled away, inviting us into new life, new life in Christ, new life that we celebrate in Easter. In fact, this is not the only stone in the biblical narrative that is associated with life. Throughout the stories, stones are used to build up, to provide the foundation, the resources for life. In the arid environment of the desert, Moses strikes a stone with his staff, and out comes water, refreshing water that with manna provide life for the wanderers. In Jesus' parable, the homeowners who build their house on the fern foundation, the foundation of solid stone, are much wiser than fools who do it on sand. Stones, you see, can yield life. The power of stones for crushing death or vital life depend on the use of those stones. Stones are part of creation, but they can be used for good or for bad. The author of 1 Peter, for example, says that Jesus is the cornerstone, using the same image from Psalm 118. But in this case, Jesus can be a stone that makes some stumble, a rock that makes some fall. They stumble because they disobey the word. Here we see the conflict between the good news that Jesus brings and our own difficult hearing. These messages of both life and death are central in the Bible readings this morning, fundamentally in Psalm 118, where the people cry out for God's help. They beg for God to save them from their enemies. Words used in Psalm 118 and then adapt, are then adapted by the author of Acts, presumably Luke, the gospel writer. The stone that the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. Jesus becomes the rock, the very foundation referred to in his own parable, the foundation on which we are called to live our lives. As our own James Mays, the scholar of the Psalms, says, 
God's work here occurs despite of and in face of the ruler's failure to recognize him. In Christological terms, Mays writes, Jesus is present in the world as the one contradicted and rejected by every way that we human beings go about building up our world. Jesus as cornerstone offers us a more peaceable way of building up our lives. But here in the psalm and here in Acts, these images of stones remind us that as followers of Jesus Christ, we have a hard way of the cross. In this part of the Acts narrative, Peter and John have been arrested. They are imprisoned. Peter and John have been teaching and proclaiming the power of the resurrection in Jesus Christ. And they're arrested for this work, making true the claim that no good deed goes unpunished. Peter questions why they would be castigated for having healed a sick man. He identifies their work and their faith with that of Jesus Christ, declaring that this is Jesus, the stone that was rejected by you people, you the builders, and now Jesus has become the cornerstone. So in this Easter season, we celebrate the people of the way as these early Christians are known in the book of Acts. Peter emerges as the leader, Peter whose very name means rock, the one on whom the human institution of the church will be constructed. Peter had been far from a perfect disciple. Indeed, he had been a human being all along. In the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus had asked Peter and a couple of disciples to stay awake with him while he prayed before he was betrayed. Peter and the others could not do it. Even this extraordinary follower could not manage to stay awake even an hour. Like Peter, we are called to sit with Jesus on the hard stone. But the message of the story, of course, is that we too have fallen asleep. And what a hard message it is that, like Peter, this church is built upon people like us. The powerful people, the ruling people who had imprisoned Peter, asked him by what power, by what name he had acted. And the text says that Peter was filled by the Holy Spirit. Peter and John were uneducated and ordinary men, the text says, and yet they were able to act. We live in a fallen world with imperfect disciples like Peter and John, like us. And we know that stones are hurled every day at those whom Jesus called the least of these, my brothers and sisters. Indeed, it is probably too easy for us to watch as those stones are hurled, or even unwittingly, to hurl stones of our own against people that we care deeply about. Surely it is easier to cast stones than to accept Jesus' radical call to stand beside him in the Garden of Gethsemane and on the way to Calvary. We are called to be like the stones that the rulers reject. It's the first letter of Peter that expands upon this image. Jesus is called the cornerstone, 
He's also called the living stone. And then we ourselves are named. We are told to come to Jesus, and like living stones ourselves, we are to let ourselves be built into a spiritual house, to be a holy priesthood. We are stones, one another, living stones, called to engage with our own powers to work for the good, together and individually. Christ is the cornerstone, but we too comprise the church edifice. Now we at Second Presbyterian live in a spiritual house literally comprised of stones. The cornerstone here was laid about 170 years ago, and this stone church was completed in 1848. The brown stones were shipped in from New York, as the architect himself, Menard Lefevre, had also been shipped in from New York. This edifice that we call our church has itself been a living entity, with new buildings built and renovated, and in some cases, torn down. A bell installed, finally. A Tiffany window restored. A living edifice growing to meet ministry in its own way. Even the noted brownstones themselves experienced crumbling, and many were replaced with stones, this time from across the ocean. The building in which we call ourselves church has been transformed, but that change has been nothing like the changes in the people in this edifice over the years. We are living stones seeking to build our lives upon Jesus Christ, our cornerstone. We are imperfect stones with sharp edges and deadly weight, but also with weaknesses that could lead us to split or crumble. Living stones. The people change from generation to generation, and individuals and families move into and move apart from this spiritual house. We are called individually and corporately to become living stones. We are called to build ourselves up and with God's help into the, to be the kind of community that rejects the death-dealing use of stones, but rather transforming ourselves, transforming rejected stones with resurrection force. We are called to be living stones. Now you might say, can this be serious? Can this be possible? Perhaps like Sarah from Alec's recent sermon on faith, we should laugh. Sarah is told that she will bear a child at age 100. She laughs. We are told that we are the living stones upon which God builds a church. Should we laugh? That's exactly what these passages call us to do, to be those stones upon which God builds a church. So these passages offer us some guidance on how to do that, how to be those stones, those foundational pieces of the church. First, we must proclaim the message of God's joyful news. The message we proclaim is God's resurrection. We act in the name of Jesus Christ, raised from the death, from the dead. Our message is one of life, life-giving power in all of its forms. But the message of these passages is also 
that we live in a world too noted by crucifixion, not by resurrection. It is the stone that the builders rejected that must become the cornerstone. As James Mays says, the crucified Christ and the resurrected Christ is the same one who becomes that cornerstone, and we must remember that as we bring the message of life to places of death. Also, we remember that we worship in a beautiful building. We can relate to this image of living stones as the body of Christ, as the edifice of Christ, and yet we are called to be the living stones, not this building. We must go beyond this building into the city, into our workplaces, into our very lives and families and friends and issues in this community. We are the ones who are the living stones who leave the church and become the church in the world. Next, we are ordinary people. If Peter can do this work, if John can do it, so too can we. They are ordinary and uneducated. We are called to use our ordinary gifts for extraordinary work. How do we do that? Next, it is because the Spirit moves us. Can you feel the Spirit moving? Have you caught glimpses in worship, in Christian ed, in the messages of mission in the name of this church in Guatemala, in Lesotho, in Malawi? How about in this place, through our walk-in ministry, through Caritas? Does the Spirit move us, I believe so, through our advocacy work, the slow, grinding, difficult work of advocating for those who are without power, the voiceless in our community? How about in our collaborative bridge building with our sister congregation, Ebenezer Baptist? The Spirit moves us if we are to be those living stones. It is because the Spirit enables it. And finally, the message is that God protects us. God, in this image of the stone, is our foundation upon which we stand. And in the imagery of the 23rd Psalm, also part of our worship this fourth Sunday of Easter, God is our our shepherd who protects us and guides us out. Another way of understanding this image of God as our foundation. You see, the power of stones is the power of life and of death. We strive to be life-bearing living stones. We strive to be faithful followers of the cornerstone. We know it involves risk. Indeed, it costs Jesus his life. When we dare to follow the one who is crucified as king of the Jews, we make ourselves vulnerable. Why do we take time to build up God's edifice called Second Presbyterian Church, Richmond? Why are we part of the church universal? Why do we try to make Richmond resemble, if ever so approximately, the kingdom of God? There is only one answer. Because we know of no other way to live but to live in the mountain-moving faith, the stone-rolling hope, and life-giving love of the resurrection. We are called to be living stones. 
May it be so. Amen. Let us pray. Gracious God, we thank you for your Son who gives us a foundation on which to stand. We thank you for your Son who is our shepherd who guides us from this beautiful church edifice to become the church in the world. We ask that you would fill us with the Spirit so that we might do your good work. Amen.